Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith podcast with Michael Lane. If you're enjoying our content and would like to help us keep making more episodes on this podcast, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And while you're on the website, make sure to check out some of the other things we got going on, like our specialty programs. We've got one in marine biology, which is an entire marine biology course down in the Florida Keys. And it's great for students ages 14 and up. We also have our biblical archaeology tour in Israel with archaeologists Dr. Stephen Notley. That's coming up very, very soon. So make sure to check those out. And we also have our bookings calendar open. So if you're looking for a speaker to come speak at your event, church, group, school, whatever it may be, make sure to get in your request in right away. And finally, if you have enjoyed a particular series on this podcast, or you want to go back and look at a particular episode, our courses page has every single series we've ever done on the podcast nicely organized in its own course page. And sometimes there's a few extra little downloads and things you can use if you want to go back and study a particular series or share it with a friend or a family. All these links are going to be down in the description if you want to refer back to them after you're done listening to today's episode. And with that, thanks for being here and I'll let Michael take it away. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. So glad you're joining me again for another lesson in our series that we're doing uh, called The Basics of Christian Living, uh, How to Take the Bible, Apply It to Your Life. And that's what we're talking about in this multi-lessoned series that we're doing. And as we're still sort of in the beginning of this, in this lesson, um, we're going to be covering the Old Covenant or the Old Testament and talking about that. It, it's absolutely amazing how many Christians even don't know or don't study the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, just to tell you sort of a strange story that happened a few years ago, uh, actually a few years ago, um, it was probably more like about a dozen years ago, I was speaking for a, a church group, and this uh, this group I spoke to many times before, uh, the pastor would contact me about a week or two right before the event would take place, and he would give me a theme or uh, a passage to talk on. In this case, for this one weekend I was speaking, and I spoke four times, a Friday night, then two times on Saturday, and then Sunday morning. And on this one, he, was, he asked me to speak on um, coming to Jesus, coming before a holy God is what basically the theme was about. And this was done for high school students. And um, so the first night they, they came in and I talked and everything was sort of fun and everything going well. I was just doing my introduction. The next morning, Saturday morning, I got into the bulk of it. And I was using a lot of passages uh, for, for walking with Jesus and getting to know Jesus, coming into the holy presence of God. I was using a lot from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus and, and actually in Leviticus. And then Sunday, or, uh, Saturday night, um, I continued with this, and now I'm coming into the sacrifice about what Christ did as a, an offering for us, and I gave a salvation talk, um, and again, I was using a lot of things basically from the book of Leviticus, and um, it was really funny because afterwards, after that event, was, or that evening's session was over, uh, and this took place in the wintertime, the pastor came up to me and said, um, uh, can, can we talk? Uh, can we go someplace and talk? And I should share. Where do you want to go? I mean, this is not unusual. We often had many, uh, many times we would sit and talk or take walks around the camp. But I got to tell you, it was like 20 below outside. He says, let's just walk around outside. 
Sure, no problem. You know, those of you who know, I can't stand winter. I hate cold. I hate ice. I hate snow. Um, but I said, no problem. 20 below, there's like three feet, four feet of snow outside. But sure, let's go outside and let's walk around. And he said to me, as we got going, just, you know, um, appreciate how much you do for us. And, you know, um, his church was supporting me in ministry and stuff. And he says, you know, we're so glad to do this and everything. But then he said, but... And I go, what, what's, what's the matter? And he says, I'm asking you to speak on Jesus. And you did a salvation talk tonight, and a couple of the kids actually came forward. He says, I'm, I'm rejoicing in that. That's great. Um, that some people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, and I said, well, that's what it's all about. He says, but you're using the Old Testament uh, too much and too frequently. You're, you're quoting things from the Old Testament. And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, well, I don't like that you're doing that. And I said, why not? He says, because we don't teach the Old Testament in our church. Matter of fact, if I had my way, I'd rip the Old Testament out of every one of our pew Bibles and throw them away. We only teach the New Testament here. The Old Testament is garbage. It's not needed. It's gone. It's done. It's an old covenant. We don't need to study it. We don't need to know it. And I was sort of taken aback by this. And I said, well, um, really? Well, we continued walking around, freezing a little bit, but um, talking. And I was trying to explain to him that there's a lot we can gain still from the Old Testament. True, we're not under the Old Testament law today as born-again Christians, but there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that we can take and learn from. And so I asked him, I said, would you do this for me? I have a challenge for you. And he said, certainly. And I said, um, I know you're, you, they came every year. I said, before you come back next year, would you do this for me? Would you go to the book on your own time sometime in the next year and do a Bible study of the book of Leviticus? He goes, that's in the Old Testament. I said, precisely. If you'll do this for me, um, you know, I'll do things for you. So, like, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I said, if, if you would please just read the book of Leviticus, but I don't want you just to read it. I said, I want you to look for Jesus, for the Messiah in it, and see if you can see how much of that book applies to the Messiah and, and how we should walk and live for God. Well, he took up the challenge, and I didn't think I'd hear from him for a long time, but Several months later, he called me up, and he said, I got to tell you, I just finished the challenge. He says, I went back to, um, to a seminary, and I took a seminary class on the book of Leviticus. And he says, I've got to tell you, this has been one of the most fascinating studies I've ever done. He says, I had no idea that there is so much concerning the Messiah in this book. And he says, it's made me open up my eyes. And he says, I want to apologize for my attitude towards you for using the Old Testament and teaching things to us uh, this past winter. And he says, I, I just really, really love and he's, uh, this old, some of these Old Testament books. And he says, I'm really looking at them in a different light. And he says, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Michael, and that they're not something that, that is, you know, gardening our lives and we have to follow all those laws because Jesus fulfilled those laws. But... Um, he says, I no longer want to discard my Old Testament. So anyway, I told you that story because the, actually that's sort of how a lot of people are about the Old Testament. Christians I'm speaking of, they don't, uh, I've, I've been to churches that they, they don't want to read it, they don't want to look at it, and like I say, they, if, if they could have it ripped out of their Bibles, I think they probably would. But that's really sad. So we're going to be looking at the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, as I like to call it. 
Have you ever wondered why the Old Testament is actually called the Old Testament? I mean, have you ever sat and actually thought about this? Why is it called, why is this compendium of books called the Old Testament? Uh, did you know that there are other popular names for it? It's often called the Jewish Bible. I've heard that hundreds of times. Jews themselves, uh, they, they call it the Tanakh. Um, they have a special name for it. Uh, and as you've heard me, if you've listened to broadcasts and stuff that I do or videos and things, or if I've spoken at your events, you know that I often refer to the Old Testament as the Old Covenant. Yeah, it has a lot of names. Also, here's another thing to think about. Have you ever wondered why it's located at the beginning of our Bibles? Hmm. Well, actually, that's a pretty easy one to answer. When I've asked college and high school and adults this one, they, they usually say, well, well, it, it, um, it came first. And pretty much that's the reason it's there. Um, like our, our New Testament or the, or the New Covenant, as I called it, came afterwards, so you have the old one first. And that's the reason for that, and it really is. I almost wish, to be honest, that they were reversed in, in Bibles. Because as Christians, we, we find salvation and stuff from the New Covenant, but oh my gosh, there's so much stuff in the Old Covenant that, that really um, the, the New Covenant is, is built upon. So um, if you get into it and you start studying it in detail, um, if you've listened to our series on Jonah, you, you've heard me talk, which is an Old Covenant book, and how I love that book and how it points to the Messiah and so many other cool things. Um, or if you've gone through our series uh, that we call The Road to Emmaus, the Old Covenant Messianic Prophecies of the Messiah. I mean, they're all in the Old Covenant. I have often, even when I used to um, be a youth director, um, I had many times when the, when the school year would start and the students would come in and they're like, so what are we going to study this year? And I would say, okay, well, this year we're going we're gonna to do the book of Leviticus. And they're like, another Old Testament book? I have had people actually ask me, Christians actually ask me, do I ever read the New Testament? Of course I do. I have many lessons on the New, uh, the new Covenant. I read it a lot. I study it a lot. That... But it's, it's sort of funny because a lot of people say, well, I, the reason I ask that is because it seems like you're always teaching us stuff from the Old Covenant. Well, that's true. There, there are a lot of lessons that I try and point out to people simply because a lot of times in churches, they don't study those, except your major Bible stories, the flood, creation, uh, the exodus, David and Goliath, maybe Jericho, but a lot of other stories people just don't know about. I remember in, in college, my first class on Bible survey, taken my freshman year, and I remember a um, an assistant prof came in to teach one day, and he started just the way he did this class, um, taking the place of our professor, he just ran off a bunch of questions. And he asked us to take out a sheet of paper, and he asked questions, and they were all based on the Old Testament. still remember this. And he says, how many of you can answer these? And so he's reading off about 25, I don't know, 40 questions, something like this. Actually, they were all about basic Bible stuff, uh, Bible stories from the Old Covenant. And I'm sitting here going through this like, well, this is simple, this is simple, this is simple. And then after it was over, he says, now, let's do this, exchange your papers with someone, and let's grade it. And I was like, really? We're going to exchange papers and grade? Okay, whatever. Well, the person I exchanged with, I noticed they only had like about five answers down. And I was like, did they get bored with this or what? And we started going through it and him giving me answers and going through things, going through things. And uh, every single answer he gave, 
And uh, this person had like, you know, like five, I remember it was like five or six, that was about it. And everything she had was correct, but she only had like five out of the whole thing. So she didn't pass, obviously, this, this assignment. Um, not bragging or anything, but I didn't miss one. And then afterwards, he says, now, uh, hand back the papers, hand back the papers, put the number of correct on the paper. And he says, okay, how many people got every single one correct? And there were three of us. Now, there's about 70 people in this class, 65, 70 people, and three of us raised our hands. And then he said, you know, how many missed uh, or had... Um, like 95% and how many had like 90% and 80 kept going down. And the lower he went in the percentage of getting right, the more hands went up. And it was just, I'm sitting here looking around and the other two who got it perfect papers too were like, wow, this is really strange. So then after the thing was over, this assistant prof said, um, pointed out to the three of us and he picked on me first. And he, he um, said, would you please stand up? I wanna ask you a question. And I was like, great, this is fun being singled out like this. This is like early in the class, and I was like, oh, man, I don't even know these people in here. But he says, can I ask you a question since you're standing here? I want to ask you a question. I said, certainly, yes. Um, go ahead. He says, I'm just curious. Were you raised in a Baptist church? And I said, not exactly, but close to it. Um, I grew up in a Bible church, but I said a lot of the people um, that attended there and preachers and stuff, uh, we had a lot of people that came from Moody and stuff, but I said there was a, there was a lot of Baptists there. Um, and he says, I had a feeling that you were somehow a Baptist. He pointed to another person and says, um, who was, I remember this person wasn't from the U.S. Um, he was a uh, um, from a different country, but he, ra uh, he asked him, he says, are you a Baptist? And the guy said, yes, I am. And then he picked on the third person, and he says, are you a Baptist? He says, no, I'm a Nazarene. And he says, wow, I'm shocked. And the guy says, why are you shocked? And he says, because um, you got them all right. And he says, uh, we often don't see that. I've done this activity many times, and seldom do we find people, uh, except for Baptists, that get all these questions right. So I don't know why things like this happen. A lot of times people just don't study. And I'm, by the way, I'm not knocking Nazarenes. This was a Nazarene uh, university I went to. But it was just really odd to me that this guy said that Baptists seem to know their Bible, Old Testament in particular, but they know their Bible stories better than many other denominations. And that was the point he was making. And I was like, why? And I remember sitting around, like even afterwards, talking to the person whose paper I grade, I said, how do you not know some of these stories? I'm just curious. And she says, um, I, I never studied this. I, I went to Sunday school, but we never talked about this kind of stuff. And a number of other people sitting around me said the same thing. Yeah, it's sort of strange. So what I'm going to do in this lesson is we're going through the Old Covenant. Um, I'm going to probe your mind, is what my hope is, to probe your mind and help you to see something that hopefully clears up a lot of problems with Christians and even non-Christians dealing with the Old Covenant. Because too often I've heard of disagreements between so-called Christians, possibly they are born-again Christians, that become um, very heated discussions. In fact, Christians sometimes have big problems getting along with other Christians. And why is that? Why do we get like that? In fact, all you got to do is take a quick study of European history or church history. Just look at church history. And you're going to see Christians often fighting with so-called Christians. Uh, how many millions of people were even killed over spiritual matters? 
it's saddening. It's sickening, actually. Uh, many years ago, I was speaking to an Indonesian group. Um, this Indonesian group was almost entirely Muslim. Uh, there were, there were or not entirely Muslim, there were Muslims there. Most of them, as I think about this now, most of them were Christian, but there were a number of Muslims that were present. And afterwards, these Muslims wanted to talk to me. And um, a bunch of them came up. They had to have an interpreter, because I don't speak Indonesian. They had an interpreter who could speak English. Um, and this interpreter was a Christian. But they talked with me, and they said, they asked, what kind of Christianity is this? And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, what, what kind of Christianity are you? And I was like this, I asked the interpreter, is he talking about denomination? And I go, no, that's not really what he's trying to say. He's wanting to know what kind of a Christian you are. And I said, I'm, I'm puzzled. And he says, you see, Muslims have a very poor view of Christianity. I said, why is that? And he said, primarily, it's because of what Christians do to Christians. And I said, can you be more specific? And the person, uh, this Muslim person who's going back and forth with us also on this is saying, well, for instance, what you guys, you Christians did at the Fourth Crusade. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that, I have a history minor, so I'm familiar with the Fourth Crusade. And it was sad. It's a Christian city. It was one of the largest Christian cities in the world. And it was sacked by Christians, supposedly on their way to the Holy Land. They got sidetracked, if you might say. And instead, they descended upon Constantinople and um, present-day Istanbul, and they sacked it. It was a Christian city sacked by, supposedly, a Christian army. What they did is they raped the women there in the city. This went on for a long period of time, raping, murdering, pillaging, all of this, and this is what the Muslim was telling me. You see this, these were Christians doing this on Christians, yet you Christians say you're all full of love. And I said, how do you explain that? Well, my point was, well, you know something? Throughout history, from the beginning of Christianity, there's been a lot of things that have been done in the name of Christ that were not done by Christians. And I mean, really, if you look at the history that we have in church history alone. It's enough to make you sick. I mean, there are so many things that have been done in the name of Christ that have nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with Jesus. Many of these people claim to be Christians. We're not Christians. I think of the Spanish Inquisition. Um, how about the Thirty Years' War, pitting Protestants against Catholics? How about the Reformation and all the battles and the murders and um, floggings and burning at the stake and all sorts of things that took place that, like that. Or how about the, the French wars of religion? Go back and look at those. How about the Irish wars? Or just look at Bloody Mary and the Tudor wars. I mean, this goes on and on. This list is tremendously long, and it's sickening. Because you know something? And this is what the Muslims said. It says, didn't Jesus say that his followers would be identified by the way that they love each other? Now, they're asking me this question here, so I'm like, you've got a very good point here. You know, how did Jesus say his followers would be identified by the world? Well, there it is. It's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, this is in the New Covenant, but it reads, A new commandment. Notice that. A new commandment. I give you that you love one another. He's speaking to his followers. You love one another. Just as I loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love 
for one another. You just look at that verse. Now, with what I was just talking about, all the conflicts of Christian versus Christian throughout church history, like I say, it makes you sick. It hardly seems that we've learned anything, definitely not learning from what Jesus has taught us, but we'll get more into that later on in, in another lesson and stuff. Let's, let's get into, like I say, what the Old Testament is and what it is uh, to us as Christians. First of all, let me ask you this question, and this is a very important question. I mean, this is really important for this lesson. You ready? To whom was the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, or the Tanakh, if you will, to whom was it written? Now think about that for a second, because that's really important to understand what this thing is. I've asked that question many, many times over the years. And I used to keep a little tally, but then it got very simple because I kept getting basically the same type of answers. Uh, the most popular answers I got from people were, it was written for all nations. It was written for all people who have ever lived. I've had some people say it was written for Christians. Well, to be totally correct, none of those are correct. No, none of those were absolutely 100% correct. Some of them are partially correct. One of them is partially correct. But no, that, that is not what this is. Let me explain uh, by first looking at the title of this compilation of books, this compendium that we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Now, it is often called the Old Testament. But like I say, I don't like to call it that. And the reason I don't like to call it that is because the word testament is not a word commonly used today. I mean, when was the last time you had a conversation, not dealing with the Bible, where you used the word testament? We, we just don't use that. Most people, when I've asked a question, and I've, I've done this for years many times, uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. What does the word testament mean? Or define for me the word testament. And they usually say, well, it's the book. I said, no, no, that's not correct. You see, the word testament is an older term, but it means covenant. Or another way of saying it, it means a contract or an agreement between two parties. Thus, we have the old covenant, the old contract, the old agreement between parties. Thus, conditions and promises that were made in this, God is obviously one of the, um, the parties listed in this agreement. God is one, and then obviously there's a certain group of people in the other, between them. Now, since we don't use the word testament in modern language frequently today, that's why, you've, if you've heard me speak, I often call the Old Testament the Old Covenant. I believe that's much more accurate. So where do we even get the title then? Old Testament. Well, actually, it comes from one of our early church fathers, a guy by the name of Melito of Sardis. He lived just after the time of the apostles, and from what we can take from Christian history and, and world history, it's believed, most scholars believe, he was a martyr. He was killed by Emperor Marcus Aurelius. We're not really sure, but it, all, all indications sort of support that. He wrote a lot of um, during his lifetime as, as a Christian. He wrote a lot of stuff, and we know of this from, from other writers and also from what he, the few things that he wrote that remain. Very few of his writings have remained today, but apparently he wrote a lot. He wrote a letter, a letter that he entitled The Book of Extracts. The Book of Extracts. 
And he writes to his brother. His brother's name was Onesimus, not to be confused with the book of Philemon. Uh, that Onesimus is already dead. Um, but his brother, he had a brother named Onesimus, and he writes in this book of extracts uh, about his traveling to Israel. Now remember, this is just after the time of the apostles. Uh, John the apostle has died not too long before this, and as he starts out traveling into the, um, Israel and going all around to the sacred places and stuff. And he writes in the book of extracts thus, quote, Having made myself accurately acquainted with the books of the Old Testament, I have set them down below and herewith send you the list, unquote then what he does is he goes on and he actually lists the names of the books of the Old Testament. As far as we can tell from his history and archaeology and, and literature, Melito was the first person ever to use the title Old Testament in describing the compilation of the books of what we today have as the Old Testament. So he is the one who coined the phrase, and it has continued and it's published on covers of, in Bibles and stuff like this to this day. So that's how we got the word testament. But now let's go back to a question I asked before. Who was it for? It's a covenant. It's a contract between God and a certain people. Who is it for? Who's the certain people? Israel, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people. He chose a man named Abram, who lived in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. And we read about this in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. And I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sari, uh, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, recent archaeological studies indicate that Ur, the city where this began, was located in the southeastern section of present-day Iraq. Just actually, we believe it was west of what is today present-day Basra. And after the death of his father, God spoke to Abram and made a covenant, an agreement, a contract. Dare I use the word, a testament with him. And you skip to Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3, and we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's a covenant, there's a testament. Well, there's some other ones that are made, but let's go to the book of Exodus, because God makes another covenant, another testament, if you will, through Moses. Moses, who is a descendant of this Abram um, at Mount Sinai. We read about this in Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
Now, like I said, that was another covenant, and there were more covenants that were made. God makes quite a few covenants as he goes through this, and they're, um, they're written down. You can read them, and matter of fact, it's a great Bible study to read about the different covenants that God makes in the Old Covenant itself. But there's more to the Old Covenant or the Old Testament than just this. You see, it begins in Genesis with God creating the cosmos and making everything perfect. A perfect, safe, glorious place for us to live in fellowship for eternity with our Creator God. But in chapter 3, we don't do this very long, by the time we get just to chapter 3, we rebel against God and bring death, illness, destruction, mayhem, hatred, and more to this perfect world he created. The fellowship with God was broken, but God had a plan to bring it back. Now, since sin causes death and separation from God, he would set up a symbolic system of sacrifices and holidays that would signify how he was going to fix the problem that we caused. After all, God made an oath that sin results in death, and God cannot go back on his word. So, his plan was for his son to be born of a woman, Genesis 3.15, to die for all mankind once and for all. But it's not done there. He would then rise again to eternal life with all who accept him as their sacrifice. We all have to pay the penalty of death. Well, Jesus took our sins, the, the spiritual death sins, and he sacrificed them on the cross when he died in our place. Now we can live forever with him. I mean, that's the gospel in a nutshell right there. And this is described in the Old Covenant. In this Old Covenant, God told people to write down how they would recognize the Messiah when he comes. That's why we have a whole Bible study called The Road to Emmaus, Messianic Prophecies. This Old Covenant contains hundreds of prophecies of how the people would recognize the Messiah. And not only that, but it would tell you what he was going to do. And it contains also these beautiful songs of praise to Almighty God, which like we have the book of Psalms. And we also have history. He's telling his story of the people and how they progress and how we, we became more and more vile as time went on. And, and instead of coming towards and trying to work our way towards God, we seem to be going further and further away from him. We see this all in the Old Covenant. But the Old Covenant was written to a specific nation, the Hebrew people. It was not written for the Egyptians. It wasn't written for the Hittites. It was not written for the Chaldeans. It was not written for the Assyrians. It was not written for the Canaanites or the Philistines or any other nation. It was made through Abraham, the beginning of the Hebrew nation, the first Hebrew, and it's carried through his descendants until the Messiah would come. There's a definition of the Old Covenant right there. It has many promises concerning the Hebrew nation and prophecies about what would happen to the Hebrew nation, um, but not so much about the other nations. Not so much. Now, here's the problem. Did you catch that the Old Covenant was not written to everybody? It's written to the Hebrew or the Jewish people. 
That's why it's sometimes called, as I said before, the Jewish Bible. A lot of people call it that today. Matter of fact, I have on my bookshelf right behind me my Jewish Bible. That's the title of it, my Jewish, uh, Jewish Bible. Yet too many Christians today mistakenly try to claim all of the promises, all of the laws, all of the rules that were made ex- especially and explicitly for the Hebrews, and they try to apply it to their lives today. That's a mistake. Critics have noticed that in the Old Covenant, there are some very, very harsh rules and laws. And often they will cite these to born-again Christians, telling them that God is cruel and, and asking, why don't we go by all these rules? That it's in the Bible. Well, it's in the Old Covenant, not the New Covenant. Just recently, I saw on social media a post that stated, God of the Old Testament is evil. God of the New Testament is love. This was obviously written by someone who does not have a very good knowledge of what the Old Covenant is and what the New Covenant is. Because Jesus, yes, we're living in a time of grace right now. Jesus seems to be full of grace, love, and mercy. That is true. But the time is coming. You you read through and study the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus is coming back again, and he's going to be, he is the same God as the Old Testament. He's going to come back with that type of vengeance for people who disobey, who flaunt his rules, who will not submit to him, and he's going to be the righteous warrior, victorious judge, king. And everybody who says, well, Jesus is only a God of love, boy, are they in for a rude awakening when he comes back. Right now, we are living in the age of grace, but too many people are taking advantage of that. I recall once in a classroom when I was teaching back in Illinois uh, in a biology class that one of my students, they saw, I always had a Bible sitting on my, my desk because I would take time and when I had a break, I would sit and I would read and study things. But a student saw my Bible, and we're sitting there in class. We had a few minutes before class would end, so we're sitting and talking. And the student asked me why I don't follow. She pointed to my Bible and actually said, why don't, Michael, why don't you follow the rules written in the Old Testament? I said, like what? She cited some of them. She actually knew them. Um, and then she waited for my answer. Like, I remember one of the things she says, how come you're wearing two different types of material? Because that's a sin according to the Bible. Yeah. And so she waited. She, she just kept citing things like this. So obviously she had read it, but she didn't understand what this book was about. And she waited for my answer. Well, I gave her an answer, and it totally shocked her down to her shoes. I simply told her that that part of the Bible she was re- referring to was not meant for Christians to follow today. Why? Because, I continued, we have a new covenant with God. Jesus came. He fulfilled the requirements that I would have from the laws and stuff of the of the old covenant he did it for me because i can't do it he did it he fulfilled my requirements under the old law under the old covenant and then what he did he set up a new covenant before he ascended back up into heaven a new covenant for his disciples and followers that's why we have two different testaments or two different covenants in our bibles let me tell you another example a number of years ago i served as an interim preacher uh, for my church where I was going. Our pastor had left, and um, I filled in, which I thought was going to be a short period of time, but it ended up being <laughs> a long time. But I totally enjoyed it. It was one of the most happy times I ever had in serving God. 
Well, one Sunday after the service, um, as I was at the back of the church and people were leaving and I was greeting and talking and encouraging people and people um, were, just, were just talking and having fellowship together, a, a young, um, young couple comes up, uh, came up to me and they said, can, can we ask you a question? I said, certainly. And they took me by the arm and led me off to the side. And I go, okay, what's this about? What do you want to know? And they said, we're just really puzzled, Michael. Why are we meeting on Sundays and not Saturdays as commanded in the Bible? I said, where, can you tell me where it's stated in the Bible? I said, in the book of Exodus. I go, yes, I can see what you're saying. And I told them that's in the old covenant, which was between Israel and God. But then Christ established a new covenant. And since that happened, the church met on what's called the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, to celebrate and commemorate his rising from the dead on a Sunday morning. And that's how this got started. The New Testament church primarily met on the Lord's Day. And I said, we, we see this in the New Covenant. We as Christians, we follow the New Covenant now because the old one was fulfilled by Jesus. But we'll get more into that type of thing in the next lesson where I talk about the New Covenant. Let me just leave you with this. I have learned over the last few decades that many of our problems that we have with non-believers and skeptics of the Bible are based upon writings not found in the New Covenant, but more in the Old Covenant. I kid you not, most of the discussions, most of the problems I have when people, when they say, can you explain this in the Bible, I don't understand it, or can you explain why God seems to be so evil, or God's having this problem here and stuff, they almost are always in the Old Covenant. Um, many of these have to do with something with Moses, um, the, the thing with David and Goliath, the whole Jonah story, uh, the Exodus, the Tower of Babel, all these type of things, and even more, the creation account, how many times that gets brought up to me because I'm a biologist. And they, um, they will use these things, critics in particular, they'll point something out in these as permission then not to be a believer. So because of that, that's one reason that I wrote two books on biblical archaeology, trying to help people see the truth, that these things are true. They're just not fairy tales, myths, or, or legends. These things actually took place because biblical archaeology supports this. Um, but most of the time, these people have already made up their minds, and I can't convince them. They're already, they're more or less trying to pick a fight many times instead of actually searching for truth. Those who do search for truth with an open mind, I can give them very good answers. And uh, in some cases, with the Holy Spirit doing the work here, he, he uh, convinces them and convicts them to uh, change their thinking. Others, they've already got a hardened heart. They're not going to do. They're trying to pick a fight. It's like some of these people are like, as my dad used to always say, they're like owls. The more light you shine on them, the less they see. My focus is trying to help people see that the Old Covenant was not written for us. Christians today. It's not. Even though I do believe, um, like I said, all these things that happen in the Old Covenant, I believe they're all true. I think our focus should first of all be on Christ and what he said the people would recognize about him and also how people would recognize us, his followers, and that's the love aspect, but that's again in the next lesson. Now I believe we should try to study 
the Old Covenant. Yes, we should do the New, no question about it. We really should know the New Testament very well. But the Old Covenant, because for one, it's the foundation of the New Covenant. I mean, a house or a building, it doesn't exist very long if there's no foundation. The foundation, I'm no construction worker, but I have enough brains to know that if you're going to build a house or something like that, you're going to put a foundation down first. We just built a garage just um, a couple of years ago um, here in our, at our house, and the thing is, uh, the first thing we did is we laid a foundation down. So having a foundation, that's one reason, because each book of the Old Covenant details the Messiah. As I told that pastor, look through the books of the Old Covenant and look for the Messiah because you're going to find him. Uh, for instance, there was a, um, I believe he's the guy who started the Missionary Alliance Church, A.B. Simpson, theologian back in the 1800s. A.B. Simpson was very famous because he could take almost any chapter in the Bible and he could find Jesus in it. You can do that. These books of the Old Covenant inform us of how holy God is. That's one key thing. We get to see how holy God is and that God is a just God. He will not tolerate people who flaunt his laws, which are based upon his character because he is perfect. Much of the areas where people claim today that God is evil is based upon people's rejection of his laws, that they worshiped idols. The genocide that people often point out in the Old Testament, like with Joshua and stuff. Why? Because these people had a knowledge of God, but they flaunted God and his laws and, and his commands and stuff. And they were doing child sacrifices to Molech and, and other things, and to the Baals, and, and, and terrible things to, uh, with Asherah and, uh, and other of these idols and stuff. They, they had a knowledge of God. They rejected him. So God said, and he brings his people into the promised land, these people will be like a cancer that will just spread through you. You must wipe them out. Their day of judgment has come. And I'm telling you, folks, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be basically the same thing. This God that we only want to focus on is love, is also the same God, a righteous judge. So much of the areas where people claim that God is evil is based upon their rejection and the disgusting rituals and man-made things, that, ways of worship and stuff that they came up with. This book, the Old Covenant, informs us of how evil and sick we really are, how separated from God we are. Yet, it tells us how God is going to fix the problem with sin and death because it says in, that it's come, he writes in here through his spirit by sending his son, the Messiah, to fulfill the hundreds of prophecies as an atonement for our sinful lives. That's what the Old Covenant possesses. And we can read how God imparts grace, even in the Old Covenant. We see this. He gives grace to those who follow him. The Old Covenant instructs us on how to worship, on how to praise God. It contains God tracing the human history through his divine plan of redemption. Yes, it's something we should read. Christians should read and study the Old Covenant. For some of the laws that you find in there, Jesus reinstituted in the New Covenant. You do find them. The Ten Commandments have been reintroduced into the New Covenant. There are certain laws that Jesus did like that. The New Covenant um, is based on the foundation of the Old. 
And the new covenant is given for all people, where the old covenant was given just to the Jewish nation. For salvation for the world comes from the Jews. And don't forget, Jesus is a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. Matter of fact, if you haven't caught this yet, we Christians, we worship a Jew. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this, and I hope you've got something out of this. May the Spirit of God use this lesson to teach you. And if you have questions, and I'm sure in listening to this, um, probably many questions are popping up in your mind, don't be afraid to contact us here at evidenceforfaith.org um, or get into a Bible study. Have a small group thing and start looking through these Old Testament books. And again, I love, I do, I really enjoy reading the Old the old Covenant because I look for, as A.B. Simpson did, I look for the Messiah through so many parts of it. Uh, take the book of Ruth, little four-chapter book, beautiful little love story. Oh my gosh, you're going to see grace and redemption all through this. It's phenomenal. You even have a Christ-like figure um, in Boaz. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. And you can see stuff like this. Do a little study and look for stuff like this throughout the books. It's amazing. The God of grace. He's not a God of hatred and evil. He's a God of grace, even in the Old Covenant. But he is a just God also, a righteous God. So thanks for joining me. And I would ask that you please pray for our ministry, that can we expand this, and God will just, just use this and get uh, reach more people and bring more people into his kingdom through this, that his kingdom would spread. And for, for what evidence for faith uh, can do, we're, we're just looking to be servants of God. That's what we're after. And if God was to put upon your heart to support us, hey, we would love that too. In prayer or even in finance, we would definitely uh, just, we covet that so much and we would hope you would join us. But until we meet again, I'll just say, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.